0: With the news media covering increasingly more news about data breaches and security and the use of personal data in ways that invade people's privacy, you need to know how to keep your business's data, not to mention your own personal data, safe from hacks and your business operating in the most secure environment. Otherwise, this can not only hurt your business reputation, it can cost you clients. Welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the privacy Professor. We're here to help you mitigate potential damages and losses before the hackers even have your number. Now, here is the Privacy Professor and your host, Rebecca Harold. Hello,
1: and welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. I'm Rebecca Harold, your host. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to the 43rd episode of my show. I use my show to help raise awareness of information security and privacy risks and issues. And I also try to provide listeners worldwide with practical tips and actions to help improve information security and to better protect privacy. Please subscribe to my show on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, Google Play, Overcast, TuneIn, Castbox, Pod and or whatever your favorite podcast, or news app is. And of course, please subscribe to my show on the Voice America Business Channel website, and then you'll be notified as soon as a new show is available. You know, I sincerely appreciate all of you worldwide who tune in. I really love seeing all the countries and cities on my listeners report. It's really exciting for me to see. And in this past week, I had a large increase of listeners in Washington, D.C., and New York City, among other U.S. locations. And then outside of the U.S., I see a large number of new listeners from Brazil, Iran, and Trinidad and Tobago, plus many more interesting locations that I've now put on my bucket list to visit someday. Thank you so much for all of you for tuning in. Now, if you're interested in being a sponsor or advertiser for my show, please also get in touch. And of course, if you need help with information or security, uh, information security or privacy, just let me know. And please keep all your feedback and questions coming in. I love getting all of them. So, My November Privacy Professor Tips message was published on October 30th. Did you get yours? Well, if not, please sign up for them. I've always provided them for free. You can sign up for them by going to privacyguidance.com and submitting your email in the box in the upper right part of your screen. And I will be publishing my December tips this week. Now, to my tip for my listeners for this week. You know, gift-giving holidays are coming on us really quickly now, right? And I know many folks are looking at giving IoT devices or smart devices, and there's a wide variety of them out there. There's a lot of folks looking at giving those as gifts. But keep in mind that various research shows that the vast majority of these IoT smart devices do not have adequate security and privacy controls built into them. And there's even a significant portion that do not have any controls at all built in. So you probably do not want to give a gift that could be taking data from your gift recipient in ways that they don't know about, or that could possibly even harm them in some ways. And also remember that these devices create pathways to the other systems on the network, such as the computers on a personal Wi-Fi network. Just to name a few of the mini risks that smart devices bring along with of course, the really cool things that they can do. So I have two tips related to this. Number one, before you get an IoT device to give as a gift for someone, make sure you check the device vendor's privacy and security notices and policies on their website. Now, if they don't have a privacy or security notice on their website, or if the notice or policy basically states that they reserve the right to take data and use it however the heck they want, then don't get that device. And number two, if you are giving an IoT device as a gift to someone who is not tech savvy, then please sit with them right after you give them a gift and help them to get the security and privacy settings set up correctly and what's best for them make sure that they change the default password and help them to choose a strong password you know it should be alpha numeric and with symbols and it should not be a password that's the same as their other passwords that they use for social media or for their work or employer and definitely don't use the same password as they use for their financial sites and so on now i'm giving these tips to correlate to my topic today internet of things which you often will hear referenced as iot and the different devices that use it are called smart devices so we're going to talk about iot and smart device security and privacy today now It's generally agreed that the term Internet of Things was coined by Kevin Ashton back in 1999 while he was working at Procter & Gamble. And he was describing RFID to executives and how it worked. But very few organizations uh, and other you know, folks in the general public, they really didn't actually start using that Internet of Things term widely until years later. Now, I've been interested in IoT devices ever since I saw a little Wi-Fi-enabled rabbit uh, called tag in 2005 and I noticed it because I thought wow look at this little device it was able to give alerts and to speak to you about stock market reports and it would give you the news headlines and you could set you know your alarm clock on it so it would uh, tell you when you had something to do and it would give you your RSS feeds and so on. Plus, these little Wi-Fi digital rabbit robot types of personal assistants could also connect with each other. Now that was, you know, very interesting to me, and I started researching and working with IoT device security and privacy uh, a lot more in depth in 2007 when I was doing research for a client on both the security and privacy risks of such devices. And then I started focusing on smart grid devices in 2009, when I started leading the NIST Smart Grid Privacy Group, and I found that very interesting, still looking at those issues. And then in 2010, medical devices and all of the smart and wireless uh, uh, devices that are now out there back in 2010, there were a lot fewer, but those interested me and concerned me as well, and along with the clients who had me doing work for them for that. And then a large variety of of other direct to consumer devices in 2010. So IoT is something that I've you know I've been interested in for a long time. I've done several keynotes and sessions on IoT security and privacy for Secure World Expo in the past couple of years and I'm co-founder of the IEEE P1912 Working Group, and what we're doing there is creating a security and privacy engineering standard for consumer smart devices. And, you know, the numbers of devices are exploding, as are the numbers, of course, of related security and privacy risks. Now, I've wanted to cover IoT security and privacy on my show for many months, and I'm really happy to have an IoT security and privacy expert on the show today to have such a discussion uh, with me. So today, I'm being joined by Abhik Chaudhary, the author of the book Internet of Things, For Things, and By Things, published by Auerbach, in 2018, this year. So, Abik is a Jevening Fellow from the UK and also Fellow of the Cloud Security Alliance based in the US. Abik has 16 years of IT consulting and research experience in cybersecurity, privacy, and policy and works in the design and architecture center of excellence of Tata Consultancy Services. Now, he's also co-editor of ISO IEC JTC1-SC27. Abik is providing thought leadership for developing global cybersecurity and privacy standards. Abik is an active member of the UN's Internet Governance Forum, IIC, ISOC, IEEE's IoT Technical Community, IEEE's Global Initiative on Ethics of Autonomous and Intelligent Systems, and IEEE Standards Association. Now you can see even more about Abik in his bio that is located on my Voice America business page. Abik, thank you so much for being my guest today. Welcome to my show.
2: Thank you, Rebecca. It is a really wonderful opportunity for me to come to this show to talk to you and to reach out to the audience.
1: Well definitely it's it, you have such a hot topic now that you're dealing with and I know you you know in, in the bio I mentioned uh, that you've been in the IT area for quite a while but just to kind of let my uh, listeners know a little bit more about you, You know, how long have you been focusing on information security and then uh, researching the Internet of Things? What led you to that type of research?
2: Okay. Uh, Out of my 16 years of IT experience, um, since the first day I was into the software development uh, area of IT, but gradually... From the one year onward from that time, I went into the security administration and gradually took up the compliance and regulatory needs of the various customers. So you can say I have about 15 years of experience into the security aspects and about uh, seven years into the privacy aspects also of IT. And while I worked in IT, I started exploring the various aspects of security, privacy, governance, and ethics of Internet of Things since the year 2014. So for IT security privacy, it is about 15 years. For IoT security privacy, it is about uh, five years now.
1: And that's a comparatively long time given so many of our IoT devices are just emerging. And of course, we're still on the very beginning of what I think is going to be a much more connected world. Um, In fact, have you done any research um, during your work with regard to like how, what portions of the population, such as in the U.S. or worldwide, currently use IoT devices?
2: Yes. Uh, When I started working into the IoT domain about five years back, it was already in the path of reaching high expectation of users, specifically in the US and the developed countries. And currently, the total count can be approximately 90% of the users in US uh, is using IoT devices based on a survey held in the month of May 2018.
1: Wow, so not, when you say 90%, is that 90% of folks who are on the Internet or 90% of the total population? Uh,
2: this actually is based on a consumer uh, survey whereby mm-hmm. this comes out that about uh, 90% of the users who are having uh, Internet-based devices and connection to the Internet. Mm, okay. Most of these users, the out of this 90%, is accessing smart home devices at the top of the list, and then we have some other IoT devices also like the streaming devices nowadays, the internet streaming services. Mm-hmm. That is followed by wearable health devices, the healthcare trackers, mm-hmm. and the internet-enabled home control devices. So this is the complete list as per the current trend in US.
1: It's very interesting because like, you know, with the health trackers, I, I remember, gosh, about five years ago, and I don't know the, the exact number, but, you know, there for a while, Fitbits uh, were very visibly <laughs> being used by so many people. I mean, I would look out in the audience when I would be teaching a class or giving a, a keynote, and I would see all the, the the Fitbit bands. They were very visible. But today, when I look out, I don't really see them that obviously, but yet when I speak with people, they're like, oh yeah, we use them. You know, it's you just can't see them. So I think that's another kind of change with the health trackers. The IoT devices are evolving so that maybe uh, they aren't as obvious when you're speaking with someone who might be using one of those connected devices or uh, smart devices. Um, And certainly with the new types of devices, I mean, how do you see this changing? 90% is already a large percentage, but what do you see as a projection for increase in IoT devices in the coming years? Maybe going from, you know, one or two devices to, I don't know, 10 or a dozen devices per person, or what do you see?
2: Yeah. Uh, so again, I'll take uh, help of the recent surveys done by various leading organizations on this IoT device usage. First mm-hmm. of all, uh, I will take uh, the reference of Gartner. Mm-hmm. So Gartner says that by next year, that is 2019, there will be 14.2 billion connected things in use across the globe. Wow. And. And US is leading definitely in this uh, usage. So definitely uh, it will be moving towards more, towards the 100% of the US US users, most probably. Mm -hmm. And uh, out of this 14.2 billion, almost uh, three fourth will be in the developed countries of US, Europe, a bit of uh, in the Eastern side, in Singapore, in uh, Australia and other areas.
1: So, pretty soon it's just going to be just a part of life to have an IoT device, basically being used within your household or within the work, it seems like. And, um, you know, certainly when we look at these different devices, I think they can do some really cool things. I mean, there can be great benefits and there can be great innovation with how they can improve lives. But, you know, I worry as I look at all of the the great possibilities, of course, I think probably, and, and you might relate to this. Too being a risk professional, I I always just say, oh well, where are the risks though involved, and especially in healthcare, that's an area I've been focusing on um, as being so much great potential for doing beneficial things. But what do you see a, in the healthcare space with regard to healthcare IoT devices and medical devices? What do you think has um, great potential to provide? You know, really a lot of value to those using them.
2: Yes, absolutely. Uh, In the healthcare uh, domain, what we are seeing is uh, IoT is catching up very fast. And Mm -hmm. uh, the kind of uh, projection is like it will be about 160 billion plus of healthcare IoT business by the year 2020 across the globe.
1: That's a lot of uh, <laughs> yeah that's a, a lot of money that that was 160 billion US dollars is that what you're yes. saying
2: Yes yes and out of this as you rightly said the connected medical devices are being projected as becoming more potential candidates out of this whole healthcare IoT domain mm-hmm. and that that will cover uh, various continuous monitoring devices from healthcare perspective Say, for example, the connected glucose monitoring systems Mm -hmm. that will take care of uh, the people who are affected by uh, the disease of diabetes, which is actually catching up very fast across the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, IoT will be a kind of a uh, helping hand in this diagnosis of this disease as well as solution, because we are getting a lot of new devices coming up in the healthcare IoT domain whereby you have two components. One is for the continuous monitoring, and the other is for continuous penetration of insulin from Mm -hmm. uh, injector into your uh, system. So that gives a combined effect of uh, maintaining your body insulin uh, count on the level of normalcy. Mm -hmm.
1: And that certainly... yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and
2: that is actually very uh, uh, highly potential area for all kinds of uh, diabetic patients, including the early diabetics as well as people who are severely affected by this disease. So we are seeing a lot of potential in this one.
1: So that could be very, very beneficial. I mean, my late father he uh, suffered from diabetes, and I remember always, you know, pricking his finger. Uh, three times a day to do the reading. So now with these devices, that kind of helps to not have to go through all of that. But on the other hand, you know, when you think about it, y- you have these devices that's constantly collecting data, right? And that data represents in uh, some fashion, the, the person, the patient that it's coming from. And then you have the pathway to the person through that device. Um, so what are some of the, the secu- you know, when I think about this, I'm looking at, and, and my mind fills with all the possible security risks involved, not just to the data, but to the, the individual themselves. So what is it that you, you know, are concerned about, or have you looked at with regard to the data security and, and uh, privacy risks related to these types of medical devices?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And these kind of IoT, healthcare, IoT devices should have the basic uh, needs of security and privacy to gain the trustworthiness of the people or the end users. What I found in my research is most of these devices are very good in their uh, Mm bio-functionalities, but at the same time, they are lacking the basic features of the security of data the security of authentication mechanism to find out like uh, when to inject that uh, the, the insulin into the body as per the need and who is actually doing it. What I want to say is uh, it should be the end user who can get a continuous autonomous system built up through that uh, mechanism, IoT-based healthcare, IoT mechanism for his or her body at the same time, there are devices which can allow that user to inject that uh, insulin into the body based on the need when he or she sees the uh, app-based data that there is a need for insulin injection into the body, the blood, blood system. So in these situations, it is becoming difficult to do a proper authentication because mm-hmm. of the inherent limitations of uh, the IoT devices. Mm-hmm. We have to remember that um, IoT devices, the sensors, they are at the early stage of development. We are quite early in our IoT developmental stage because these sensors can collect data and these sensors can uh, initiate the communication with the actuators, which actually helps to do the functionality. But at the same time, there is limitation in uh, power of these sensors and there is limitation of memory of these sem- sensors regarding the, the computational capability. So what happens is, in this situation, you cannot do a encryption for the communication between the sensor and the actuator. So there can be various kinds of attacks because data will flow wirelessly from the sensors to the actuators and to your app. Mm-hmm. So, so in this ecosystem, System of data movement in your healthcare IoT system, if there is any breach from outside or interception or kind of a simple man-in-the-middle attack or some attack which actually jeopardizes the functionality of the IoT device, then the end user, the patient is at risk. So at the cost of security, we are actually having the cost of life.
1: Yes, yes, and I think you know that is something that a lot of folks, uh, when they think of the benefits, certainly there's there can be great benefits, but you know I think a lot of physicians and, and healthcare workers and, and patients don't realize that um, if the security's not there, it's a patient's safety. Issue too. I mean, besides data security and privacy, you have, as you mentioned, actual risks to a person's life, and it just seems to me that not enough emphasis is is put onto that, at least uh, to the physicians and nurses who I've talked with a lot of them, and and perhaps you have too. But I think a lot of them just assume that you know, those issues have been taken care of, otherwise why were why are they able to use those devices? So um, it just really worries me.
2: Absolutely, and uh, that is where we have to think about trustworthiness of all these IoT applications, including healthcare IoT, whereby you have to take care of security, privacy, the safety of the end user, the resilience of the system, as well as the reliability of the system which will come through the ethical way of implementing these applications for end users?
1: Well, you know, there's so, I mean, we could talk about this topic for a long, long time. I do want to get to a few other devices and and types of IoT, but right now it's time for a quick break to hear from our valued sponsors that I do appreciate so much. I'm speaking today with Abik Shaduri, the author of the book Internet of Things, for Things and By Things, and that's published by Auerbach Publishing. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold, the Privacy Professor. You can contact me with questions and comments about this show, as well as show topic suggestions using my email, Harold RebeccaHerald at com, and also through my privacyguidance.com website. Please stay with us. We'll be right back after these important messages from my sponsors.
0: The Privacy Professor is your trusted source for effective information security, privacy and compliance advice, compliance tools, education, consulting, expert witness services, and board positions. Visit us online at privacyprofessor.org. Rebecca Harold & Associates offers information security products, privacy and compliance tools, education and consulting. Rebecca also provides keynote speeches and her free Privacy Professor monthly tips messages. She has published since 2007. Visit privacyprofessor.org for help and answers to your questions. Have you heard about Simbas360.com? The Simbas system includes information security, privacy and compliance management, policies, procedures and forms, third party and vendor management, training and awareness. Breach response and management, employee tasks and assets management, and risk management automation. Simbus also offers Alien Vault Unified IT Security Management at reduced pricing and also Cyber Liability Insurance with limits up to $25 million. You need to find out more about the Simbus system. Visit Simbus360.com. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be.
1: Listen anywhere.
0: Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. If you have a question or comment about the program, feel free to send an email to RebeccaHerald at RebeccaHerald.com. That's RebeccaHerald at RebeccaHerald.com. Now, back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. Welcome
1: back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor on the Voice America's Business Channel. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold, and I'm speaking today with Abik Chaudhary, the author of the book Internet of Things, For Things and By Things. And we're talking about um, smart device and IoT device security and privacy. So what I want to move to now is is um, connected cars, smart cars, because we're seeing so much more in the news about driverless cars and smart cars. So, Abik, what kind of research did you find about connected cars and uh, driverless cars that our our listeners should know about?
2: Okay. Um, We are getting a lot of applications of IoT into the connected car uh, domain. And Mm -hmm. uh, the driverless cars or the autonomous cars are an extension of this connected car system whereby the complete driving experience is through your systems fitted on the car and it is connected to the GPS systems to guide you through the uh, roads in the city or across the country. Mm -hmm. So I'm seeing that uh, while we are also developing a lot of features and functionalities regarding various uh, experiences with connected cars. Uh, For example, you can have sensors and software designed to detect the pedestrians on the road while the car is moving. And you can see whether any cyclist by error is coming closer to your car or not. And that can be seen from the dashboard view of the system in front of you. You don't have to turn your head around from the car. These things are there, but at the same time, a lot of security issues are also coming up. I'm seeing that uh, connected cars can be intercepted from by hackers who can then guide those cars as per their need. And that can also be like uh, creating an accidental scenario whereby that gar, a car will be uh, thrown out of the highway and put into some ditch kind of uh, scenario or scene. So these are actually uh, threatening um futuristic uh, views we are seeing with connected cars if we don't take care of the security aspects of it.
1: Yes. I mean, this is something, too, kind of like with medical devices. Not only do you have security and privacy issues, but you get into physical safety issues as well. And um, a couple of years ago, I got, um, I got a, a new car. It was wirelessly enabled and uh, drove to the East Coast. I'm based in Des Moines, Iowa. And so my youngest son, we were looking at some colleges that were asking him to apply to college. so drove out to the East Coast to New London, Connecticut, and I thought, I'll try out this wireless connectivity. And as I was on the interstates driving, I turned on the, uh, I used an app, a uh, Wiggly app, to see the other open access points on the road and the traffic around me. And I peeked; there were a lot of other cars it, within the vicinity that were also online, and I could tell through my little tools that I was using that uh, they did not have any security uh, on, you know, their their environment, their Wi-Fi environment. And I was thinking, just think about how easy it would be when you're driving in a lot of traffic. To get on and actually get into people's smartphones and laptops, if they're in the on their laptops, some of the, you know, riders uh, in those cars, and get to the data. In addition to the physical uh, safety aspect, so it just seems like you know we have all of these types of Wi-Fi networks now on wheels. Um, traveling around each other, giving a, a great opportunity with the lack of security to get into a lot more data than people might even realize. I mean, what do you uh, recommend to those who are are using smart cars with Wi-Fi access points or thinking about getting a smart car? or driverless car uh, when it comes to security, cybersecurity and and privacy.
2: Absolutely, and uh, when people are actually buying these cars and starting to use them, I will first tell them that uh, don't go for default settings of any of your IoT-enabled devices. Don't go for unsecured wireless network connectivities. Preferably go for a WPA2 or something better if anything is coming up from the wireless network uh, perspective security. And also try to get the communications between your car systems. There is a system in the car called the car area network, which actually have all these components connected together. And these components talk to each other as you enjoy the ride. So these components should know each other and then talk to each other. There should be an identity-based communication system enabled between these systems only. And that communication should not be coming out in the open for anyone interested from outside to have a peep into it. So, that so, is really important.
1: so how do people get, is there a general common way for folks to be able to see what these settings are or does that vary greatly from one type of vehicle to another?
2: Uh, generally, I'll tell that it is not feasible to get into the information just directly while you are getting to the car. Uh, person who is going for such access to a smart car or connected system should actually have that passion or the eagerness to know what things he or she is using in that car and accordingly go for the basic information of how to use it securely. If required, try to take help from the security experts who are there around in various possible ways. For example, it can be Uh, security testing from the information perspective from any third party vendor. It can be a checking of the standards which have been used for setting up this complete setup in the connected car system. So if you are not able to find out those things, try to go for an authentic way of attestation of those things, whether those are available or not for these IoT devices and systems in your car. Because today we are trying to access everything through the internet with these IoT technologies for the benefit of us. But at the same time, we are not foolproof Uh because we cannot give the responsibility of our security from using these systems to others who are delivering those to us. means we can rely on them if that is reliable. Otherwise, we should also have that basic uh, cognizance and knowledge to understand what we are using. We should not go and use an IoT device, which has not been tested earlier and coming cheap in the market. So we just connect it and try to enjoy that particular functionality without knowing what harm we are doing to ourselves, what much information, private information we are giving to outside world without knowing what metadata that IoT device is collecting.
1: That's Those very good. Have
2: be careful. We have to be
1: Yes, those are so important. And, you know, like I mentioned with my car, um, I actually took the manual. And and most cars, how many people read the manuals that come with their cars, right? (laughs) Well, guess what I did? I read the manual, especially about the wireless connectivity on that long drive. So I I would say, too, they should read their, their manual that talks about that. And, in fact, I discovered by doing that that I can actually get access to all my controls through an online website, um, and so I can actually get access to that, but if I hadn't have read it myself, I wouldn't have known that, and it kind of concerns me, too, the fact that I can get access to my car settings and data online. That means others can, too, unless, like you said, I take the initiative on myself to make sure that that's a strongly secured Account right, so um, a lot of IoT devices uh, they they need more awareness. I think for those selling them, so you know better how to secure them. And I guess that kind of leads me into you know smart homes and smart grids and smart energy. There's so many people who have smart homes out there. Uh, and smart grids uh, that they connect to. What did you discover during your research uh, about, you know, the smart homes, smart grids, and and anything that you found either really amazing or really concerning?
2: Yeah. Uh, During my research into the smart uh, aspects of homes as well as smart grids and other applications which people can utilize from their home or the city they're living in, Uh, uh, in short, I can say about Smart City. I found that uh, there are a lot of applications which are coming up in various domains of life from the use of IoT. But at the same time, uh, as I said, security, privacy, trustworthiness are the key concerns of all these. For example, if I take a smart home, I can integrate a lot of functionalities in a smart home from smart lighting to smart uh, refrigerator to the smart grid-based smart metering system in my home. A lot of features we can do today, including uh, smart uh, internet streaming services and connecting everything together. We can ask, uh, okay, um, Alexa or okay, Google. We can do a lot of things with those devices. But at the same time, we have to know like, how much information we need to share, how much information we need for ourselves, and how much information should be stored by those devices. It is very difficult for a common man to do it. But uh, things are such that we have to be more careful, more aware. And one more aspect of my Mm -hmm. research is the interdependency of these smart systems in a smart city concept. So that is Mm -hmm. bringing a lot of cascading risks in cyber domain for all of us. For example, a smart grid, what it does, it provides energy based on demand for various functionalities. So when we are actually connecting a smart grid in a smart city system to a smart uh, transportation system, that energy is being used, say, for by the the cars which are using smart energy. So there should be a connectivity between these two systems whereby one is dependent on the other. So this dependency is creating a concept called smart interdependent system of systems in a smart city. Now, when I get into the cybersecurity and risk aspects, if there is a breach in the smart grid system, that can flow to each of these subsystems which are dependent on it through some wireless or wired communication network. So in that way, if there is a breach or there is a vulnerability or a weakness in the complete system of one of these systems, it can create havoc down the line in other systems.
1: So with regard to havoc, I mean, that could be anything from what uh, loss of power to maybe power surges that could be destructive?
2: Yeah, for example, Smart Grid also provides energy to the smart healthcare systems Mm, hospitals. mm -hmm. Now, if there is a breach in the Smart Grid system, we are getting so many information and reports that like in 2014, 79 times the U.S. smart grid was hacked or tried to be hacked. In 2016, there are so many, 1,000 attacks on smart grids across the globe, including Ukraine and other places. Mm -hmm. So when that situation happens somewhere, if it is connected to the, say, smart healthcare system, there is a hospital which is depending on energy from the smart grid, it gets impacted. And there is a life support system in that hospital in one of the rooms or cabins where a patient is on life support, that patient can get impacted. So a lot of dependency and interdependency is there on this yeah. smart instance.
1: Yeah, I mean every device, every smart device connected with each other, and then all of those devices are connected on out to others. I mean, they're all pathways, right? I mean not every smart device creates a pathway between all of the networks and devices that connect to it in addition to all the data that's involved. Um, Absolutely. I think a lot of people don't realize that because when they're thinking about using their smart device, they are just thinking about that device and what it's doing, and they aren't realizing they're part of a much, much larger ecosystem of devices (laughs) that, that are all talking with each other.
2: Absolutely, Rebecca. That is why today with smart devices, every human being is becoming an open point for vulnerability into the cyber system, which is connecting the whole world. So we have to be very much aware when we are holding a smartphone in our hand and accessing these smart system applications from that phone. We should take care that our mobile security is at par to prevent any kind of cyber breach or hack through that phone to our other smart systems which can get impacted and can impact millions of people across the globe.
1: And people don't even realize it. And Well, is that, I want to get to your book now in the last part of our show here. Um, What uh, motivated you to write uh, the book? Is it some of the reasons that you've given so far? Or I guess what led you to write a book about the internet of things?
2: Yeah. Actually, I was, as I told you, I was working on the various aspects of security, privacy and policy requirements and needs of IoT systems and Mm -hmm. uh, technology for the last five years. So during this time, I felt like I should bring out this complete set of findings and what general people should know, what Mm -hmm. our regulators should know, what our policymakers should know, what the technology should know, what the common man should know. From that perspective, I wrote this book, Internet of Things, For Things, and By Things. It has three parts. The of things part is about the technology of IoT. Mm -hmm. It covers the definition of IoT because initially when a technology comes, it is difficult to define it in front of the people because that is taking care of the nomenclature. So we have to know what is IoT. Mm -hmm. That I have taken care in the very first Part of this book, the off-things part, along with the architecture and the philosophy of information. The first time I felt, and I think it is being done for the first time in this book, that you get a technology perspective from the philosophical perspective and angle also. So you need to know the five aspects of philosophy from this book on IoT. That covers the ontology, that is, what is IoT? The phenomenology, that is, how we can experience IoT, when I say experience, it means experience with cognizance, what mm-hmm. I am doing, what I am getting. The epistemic part of it, how we can know the in- internal functionalities of IoT without getting too much deeper, because it is not possible for every person to become a technologist and then try to use the applications for the benefit of use. It is very difficult. Mm-hmm. But How to do it with this new t- emerging technology, which will kind of take almost every application on earth into it in the coming days. And then the reasoning, the logic of it. How do we reason that what we give as input and what is to be coming out as output is what we are getting? That is the reason which I should ask as a common man. Otherwise, people who are selling these cheap devices or devices which are coming with embedded algorithms which collect more data than is required, more personal data than is required, will not happen. I'll not be able to complain afterwards. What we do, we buy these devices, we use these devices, and then we complain about these devices. Better, before we buy these devices, we should know what are these devices, what it does, then use it, and then be sure of the things happening with it. There should be no kind of uh, black box system in these IoT devices. mm mm-hmm. And finally, the digital ethics part of it, which talks of that how should we design and act? This is taking care of the technologies, the governance teams, the policymakers, the smart city councils. Because we are all stakeholders on this world with an emerging technology which can give immense benefit to all of us in all domains of life. To use it rationally, to use it for the benefit of mankind, all of us have some responsibilities to play. Hackers will always be there. Breachers will always be there who will do the breaching, data breaches, and other kind of breaches. But how to prevent it in various aspects? One is the personal self-help knowledge of an ecosystem of the people using it. One is the governance from the policy perspective. One is the responsibility of the technologists. How should we design this system so that people, the end users, are not impacted? So, these are all covered in this book in three sections. I hope uh, people will like it, will use it for their benefit.
1: So, then it sounds like it's not, it doesn't get deep into, you know, engineering, but you're writing it to make people aware. um, Maybe it, it sounds like you're saying this is for not only just the general consumer who wants to use technology and needs to be aware of the security and privacy, but also perhaps to those who are building the devices so that they can think about these things as they're building them and also maybe organizations that are thinking of incorporating them into their business environment?
2: Absolutely. And also I have provided one IoT privacy by design framework at the end as an appendix. It is a paper Mm -hmm. I have developed, the framework with Dr. Anne Kavokian, who is Mm -hmm. actually the kind of uh, mother of this privacy by design concept. So when I worked with her on the IoT part of privacy by design, we created some complementary principles of how to apply those privacy by design aspects in an IoT environment and how to do it that we have shown with a smart home concept so that anyone including the common man, as well as the technologists, the policymakers, they can all read it to understand what is expected from this technology, what we can do to make it better, and how we can prevent the breaches on our own instead of relying on someone else.
1: Well, and that's so important too. I think um, too many folks when they purchase devices of any type, uh, especially now we're getting into IoT, I think there's a lot of assumptions out there that, you know, well, whoever may built these, they took care of all the security for us or they took care of privacy for us. And I think they don't realize that when we're talking about these very new types of technologies that can connect to, you know, potentially unlimited numbers of other devices that, um, you know, those controls simply aren't there. So like you're saying, it's up to each of us to Protect ourselves if we choose to to use these devices. Then,
2: uh, at at a basic level, definitely yes. Mm-hmm. You cannot go ahead and do everything on your own. But definitely, as a concerted effort, as a kind of a collective intelligence, definitely yes, we can get benefit from each other's uh, knowledge from the use of these devices or how to do this uh, uh, default settings, so that. This cannot create problems later and how to check those default settings to get our own settings done so that we do not complain afterwards. These kind of things, the basic awareness definitely will come into the people if they go through this book. And also it will arise interest among the common man as well as the policymakers and technologists to see, okay, these are the issues which are there from the security, privacy and governance aspects in IoT and the smart city applications. So definitely, I hope that this book will be uh, utilized for the benefit of this technology.
1: Well, certainly, IoT devices are definitely not going to go away. I mean, we're going to have them now forevermore, right? Uh, we're going to have digitized and, and smart types of devices used in more and more Parts of our lives, so it's important for everyone to to learn more about it. Now, we're getting close to the end of our show here, but maybe in in a minute or two, what would be, you know, just about IoT security in general? What is a primary point that you want to leave with our listeners today about IoT security and privacy?
2: Uh, Before ending, I would request the readers and the listeners of this show and my book that better to have a check done from your own end about the device you have identified for your own benefit of use. So when you are choosing something from the internet or from the market, any IoT device, have a look at how it functions and what is the output it is saying it will give based on what input it is taking. If you see that the output requires only one or two parameters of those inputs, which it is saying, then definitely you can raise a hand. <laughs> Unfortunately, a lot of these devices don't say what they need as input or otherwise they will kind of keep it a secret. They will say we will collect two parameters. Instead, they might connect five parameters. So then you are actually getting into a black box system. So be careful of those kind of devices by checking the various types of uh, Facebook based or other technology-based or other common uh, knowledge-sharing-based uh, portals and self-help groups. Take help from the people who are actually working on these domains and try to raise awareness if you are impacted by any means so that we don't spread it across the world. We have seen in 2016 how smart webcams mm-hmm. are actually creating a havoc across the world because they are on default settings and can be connected Instantly, instantaneously by these hackers to create a malware infection. So, so we have to be very careful.
1: Yes. Well, I think those are very, very good advice, Abik. Thank you so much for being on the show today.
2: Thanks a lot, Rebecca, and thanks, uh, audience, for this wonderful session.
1: Thanks. So today I've been speaking with Abhik Chaudhary about IoT data security and privacy. So do any of you uh, in the listening audience have a topic that you suggest I cover or a guest to suggest, or do you uh, want to be a guest yourself? Well, let me know. You can contact me with questions, comments, and provide me with your show topic ideas. Using Rebecca Herald at RebeccaHarold.com. Please tune into the show each week. If you cannot make our scheduled live time, you will always be able to listen to the recordings. And you can find recordings of all my past shows on iTunes, Mobile Play, and all those other apps that I talked about before, in addition to, of course, on my VoiceAmerica.com business channel website. And uh, you can also visit some of my my personal sites to get more information, my YouTube channel and uh, also myprivacy.com. I urge you to notice and stay aware of information security and privacy issues as you go about your daily activities, go to your job and do your daily work or encounter anything else involving your personal information and how it's secured and potentially used in ways that could impact your privacy. Until our next show, ask those you do business with and work for, are they doing all that they can to secure the information that you've entrusted to them? Be privacy aware in the week ahead. Bye for now.
0: Thank you for tuning in this week. Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor can be heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week, stay safe.